Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tell Me Your Story, and it's uh, we're in our 15th year of this broadcast, this podcast and videocast, and we are so glad that you are with us here on the program to share another story about making life better for all of us. It is possible. It is not a pipe dream. It's not utopia. It can be reality. I have to say to my guest who is joining us all the way on the East Coast. So we're going east to west or west to east or or both. Um, uh, Kristen Raggison is my guest, and I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it could even be... Um, uh, it's, it's funny, Kristen. They're all saying on the in the media, well, the the... I don't even want to use the word. The economic condition will be here next spring. It's like we're waiting for a weather phenomenon like a hurricane or a tornado or, or a high or low pressure to come. And I'm going, you know, if you keep saying that, it'll be here in spring. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much. It's so great to be here with you today. Would you agree that that's part of our problem is that we keep voicing what ends up happening instead of voicing what we would like to have happen. That's right. And then when it happens, guess what we do? Kristen, it's your fault. You did this. This is on you. Or we blame the man at the top of the pyramid. Or we blame the man sitting in the White House. Or we blame, and the list goes on and on and on, but does not help to solve the problem. Not at all. It just keeps us busy and tired. And tired. Right? And I got to tell you, that's one of the reasons why <clears throat> I'm thinking that because uh, uh, we're we're uh, talking here prior to what they're referring to as the midterm elections. I think it's going to be one of the biggest surprises, even bigger, but in a positive way for you and me as the common man and woman in the uh, world. Uh, a po in a positive way, it's going to be as big a surprise as was uh, 2016, the, the election of 2016. Uh, only in this case, it's going to benefit you and me. Would you say that, <clears throat> oh, and I guess I should say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm, I am remiss in saying that she is the author of a fascinating book. I think you're going to want to get a copy of this. It's called the end of scarcity. How is that even possible, ladies and gentlemen? How could we, how could we not run out of things? Can you imagine uh, that uh, that all is calm in our world? Uh, that that something wonderful is happening, even as our world seems full of confusion and chaos. Well, we're going to find out about the dawn of the new abundant world uh, here on the program. The End of Scarcity is the title of the book, and I, I've been saying this for as long as I've been doing this program, as long as I've been doing interviews, which is 40-plus years. There's more than enough of everything for everybody to have the things they want because not everybody wants the same things. It's not like, okay, let's all get what we want. And um, Kristen, you and I and 8 billion other people all want this one thing. No. Um, when did this idea, this concept, uh, if you will, uh, this philosophical principle 
come into your mind? What was it that triggered it? You know, I think I've always believed in abundance. And, you know, I grew up, uh, well, I've, I've been managing money for 30 years and I grew up earning my allowance um, from my dad explaining, I had to explain the markets to him, these kinds of things. So I always thought that the framework we lived in was propelling the American dream. And in 2008, I had the chance to see the crisis coming. Um, I was lucky enough to get out, get everybody out. But when I saw the whole thing explode, I knew I was missing something in my worldview. And this changed me. It changed everything. It's when I went on the hunt to find out what was it that I was missing. And I discovered a whole new world about our money system. And that led me actually to the solution of how we can create systems that will allow this abundance that truly exists to flow. You could win the Nobel Prize for economics because um, I, I find it a little... A, disconcerting, uh, B, unbelievable, and actually C, ridiculous, that the the system under which we have, uh, which, under which the United States specifically uh, operates, that uh, <clears throat> although Winston Churchill made reference more to democracy, but I think it applies to capitalism for enterprise, it is the worst system there is, but it's better than all of the others. And I'm going... Wait a minute. If it's better than the others and it's the worst, how in the world are we still using it? It makes right. no sense. Now, I will say that when I was 15, and I'm, I'm, I'd love your input on this. Um, I, I was thinking about this, thinking, okay, uh, all right, I'm in school. I'm uh, getting educated, and I, uh, I'm going to go get a job. All right. And I'm going to start at whatever the starting rate is, whether it's hourly or sour, salary. And I am going to uh, work there year after year, you know, because back then, and, I, and again, we're now talking like the 70s and 80s. Um, back then, you'd stay with the company for a long, long time. My father, I can't even remember. I don't know if it was 20 years, 25 years or what have you with the same company until they decided to move the company to Utah. And he's, I'm not moving the family to Utah. So I'm looking at the economic system. I'm looking at working. Every year, it's like, okay, I'd like to... I'd like to get a raise. I think I'm worthy of that. So can I get a raise? Sure. Well, how's the company going to pay for that? Guess what? They got to raise their prices of the product or service. Okay. Which means that the consumer has to pay a little bit more for those products or services. Year by, another year goes by. I want a raise. Okay. So they give me a raise. What do they do? Same thing they did last year. And every year after that, the same cycle until... No, no raise for you, you know. You go home now. You go home. We're broke now. Um, and I'm going, wait a minute. This isn't sustainable. We can't keep doing this. It doesn't work. And now, of course, here we are in the 21st century, and they're working on raising the minimum wage. You know what the minimum wage was when I first started working? Three sixty-five an hour. $3.65 an hour. <clears throat> and um, when I left the first commercial radio job after 15 years, guess what my salary was? My my hourly. I went from 3.65 an hour to 7.35 an hour after 15 years. The system isn't sustainable. You can't keep doing this. 
Yeah. You know, and the reason for it is, is very, it's, it's, um, it's not what people expect, you know, because there's actually nothing wrong with investment capitalism, except for the fact that we don't have it, right? We're really using corporatism, which is bordering on quickly turning to fascism on either way. And when a lot of people say, oh, you know, capitalism isn't a good citizen, we need socialism. None of these systems work until we find out what the real problem is. And the reason why we have this pernicious scarcity is that we're using the wrong gas in the car where you the, the way our money is designed is actually what the problem is now and when you so, say design you're not talking about the printed paper you're talking about the the mindset of money no i'm actually i'm actually talking about the construct and the design of the dollar the dollar was never intended to come into our existence the way it does today um, the founding fathers did it different. They knew better. Um, many times, even eight times in the United States history, we've done the dollar differently. And um, you can look in history and see that we had horrendous scarcity when the money that the people were using was designed incorrectly and periods of renaissance when the money was designed correctly. So this wisdom is now coming back into the consciousness. But on top of it, we've got the technology, we've got the tools to institute it that no previous generation has had. So we're, we're standing at a very exciting period of time right now. Okay. So, so does, um, <clears throat> does the the creation of cryptocurrency make any difference in this scenario that we're talking about? You know, it helps. Um, no, I would I would still argue that crypto in general is a reiteration of the same system we have. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just more speculation. It's more cool stuff. It's maybe a neat idea to try to gamble on something or maybe it turns into something. And because we don't know about the regulations and these kinds of things, it's still tremendously risky. However, the idea that we can recreate money, legitimate money, has opened the mindset where if we had talked about this pre-2009, people would say, what do you mean you're going to recreate money? What do you mean? Are we going back to barter? Is it just a regular form of alternative currency? So crypto is very cool in that it is um, flattening that pyramid. And um, get, and and then the technology it runs on blockchain is really where the bang for the buck is. That's that's game changing, even though it sounds sort of boring, you know. Kristen Raggison's my guest, and um, we're talking about a new book that she has uh, put out: "The End of Scarcity: The Dawn of the of the New Abundant World." Which I got to tell you, I am excited about that. As we continue talking here on Tell Me Your Story, I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and <clears throat> Kristen Raggison is my guest, and um, I I. I was introduced to an interesting philosophy several years ago, a gentleman by the name of Jacques Fresco. Uh, he's a designer of uh, what's called the Venus Project. Now, he was a visionary, futurist, and architect as well. And we were talking about this, and he said that um, uh, his, uh, his, his vision of the future uh, is that we will all live in centralized communities all over the planet. Not just giant cities like, say, New York and Los Angeles and what have you. Uh, and if you want, yes, you can have a car or transportation to go to and from. But you won't really need it to go to work because you're going to work nearby where you live. But where you live is going to be a beautiful place, etc., etc. And he said that there were three, and I'm, I'm not recalling all three of the pillars, 
but basically of the economic system, if you will. Um, but it worked something along the lines of um, things would be manufactured as they always will be because things have to need to be built for us to use and so forth. But there wouldn't be this consumerism in, the con in that same context. And I remember <clears throat> putting this analogy into it, uh, Kristen, that there's a, there's a store. I'm going to call it the pear store to avoid copyright infringements. And I go in and there's this huge bin. And let's just say for the sake of argument, we're still using flash drives. And I walk into the, into the shop and I just pick up one of these little flash drives and I walk out. And somebody comes up to me and uh, with a, uh, you know, with a threat of bodily harm says, I want that flash drive. Well, I willingly and calmly, I hand it over to him also explaining, you do know that the pair store just down the street has a whole bin full if you want one. But here, you can have mine. I'll go back. I'll get another one. Because they're abundant. He's not stealing. I'm choosing to give it to him. Not because he's threatening me, but because I know there are more back here. Uh, I'm not going to take a handful of them and hoard them. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of the, the way it works. But his, his idea was one where we'll be able to travel around the globe in minutes or hours because of high-speed you know, trains. I believe my brother used to work in uh, China. Uh, he worked for Disney building their, their amusement park, which I have to say is rather amusing when you think about it. He's building an amusement park in a communist country. Really? You can have fun in a communist country? I don't get it, but hey, you know, whatever. <laughs> but they have, from Hong Kong to Beijing, don't know how many hundreds of miles that is, but apparently it would take hours by car. Mm -hmm. It takes like 45 minutes, I think, by this. And it's going, I don't know, maybe a thousand miles an hour. I, 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 again, I'm, I'm just speculating. But he was talking about how we'll have those kinds of rapid trains. You could go from Los Angeles to New York for lunch and then back for your two o'clock meeting. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this is how capitalism was supposed to run, right? Credit that was created was supposed to in, in go into ideas that people wanted where there was real supply and demand. And somehow that system has been contorted. So we certainly don't have a lack of imagination. Or when we look at all the problems we could come up with, we absolutely have the answers. It's just, can those people get to a place where they can implement them? And um, we, if, as soon as we find the source of the problem, which is uh, how the money is created, boy, and if we can change it, which we can, now this type of beautiful society is absolutely possible, um, but it doesn't have to be done through central planning. It doesn't have to be done through someone's paradigm, which I understand how this you know, developer was saying, okay, here's my utopia, but other people may not like that. You know, we want a system that works and works for everybody, but also on everyone's terms, relatively speaking, you know, obviously not doing, um, you know, big damage to each other. Sure. And right. And so, you know, the, the main problem, the reason why we have scarcity today is that we actually do not have money. And I think this was my shocking revelation in 2008, because, you know, look, you can you can touch the dollars in your hand. 
You can still get them out of the ATM, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you can see them in your account. But I'll tell you, they are they are. It's just like a quarter. You're seeing the heads side of the quarter. That dollar bill that you might be looking at is really there. You go. That's a piece. What, of what do you mean? I got money right here. <laughs> and, and that actually today represents someone's mortgage. So we are using borrower's debt as our money. Uh, that's really where the, that's, that's the source of the whole problem. And it's, it's not government money. It's not even the money that the government prints because that money usually goes on the back of the banks. It, it supports their reserves. Now with COVID, they actually sent some money to the people, mm -hmm. right? In checks, but that's the first time. And that's one of the reasons why we've got some of this big inflation. But um, today, literally, unless borrowers are borrowing, we have no money to use. And that means if there was no debt, there also would be no money. And that's the conundrum. Wow. If there was no debt, there would be no money. No money. Do you know that back in the 70s, um, I was listening every so often to the news. They would talk about the national debt and so forth and so on. And and they talked about how debt was good. Debt is good. You know, we, we need and, and so forth. And I, I never fully understood that. Mm. And and now uh, there are people who are preparing as they're, you know, um, you know, they're 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 asking the president. <clears throat> they're asking economics, economists who, by the way, Will Rogers once said you could lay 100 economists end to end and they'd still all point in different directions. Um, they're asking the question. Uh, since they're saying September 2023, and I'm and they're saying, how do we prepare? Like we're preparing, like again for a hurricane or a tornado or or an earthquake, of which they just had a five point something or other uh, up in the San Francisco area as of the time of our conversation here, and and I'm just thinking, I didn't prepare for the one in 2008, and at least I think I'm still here. I'm alive. I mean, I survived. I didn't really notice a great impact in my world. You know, now some say, well, because you live in Santa Barbara and it's kind of a bubble and da 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 da. And, you know, and I'm just, and, and uh, so, so I'm just curious as to when, and, and I, I'm sort of deviating now from this whole aspect of, of the, you know, getting rid of this whole scarcity concept. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, just to touch upon this, so wh what do we do? I mean, uh, they keep saying, prepare, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Well, you know, on this system, you get booms and busts because money is created out of debt. So if you think about it like a quarter that has the head and the tail side, we when we have money in our accounts, we've got the head side. And when we need to pay the debt, we've got the tail side. And if money was not, it comes into society when people take on debt and spend, and then the person they paid spends the money. Now, if like the founding fathers, if money came into existence off of production, right? If it actually was backed on production, we create a totally different system. And you don't get these booms and busts, which we get about every 10, seven to 10 years. And we've been entranced thinking that it's normal, that it's part of an economy, that you have a boom and a bust. Instead of having an ebb and flow like nature, 
And um, so it's very possible that all of these continue to come as they prepare because we run out of the ability to borrow, 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 spend and go into this massive over-consumerism just to keep the hamster wheel turning. Because you see the scarcity, when, when you create money as borrower's debt, the bank types it into existence. Fractional reserve lending doesn't really apply for this. It's more for check clearing. So I go to the bank, I want a loan. They say, okay, you look like you could pay us back according to our test. They make the money on the spot, double book entry, my debt and my money. And now I spend it into existence. It looks like money, but it's debt. Now, when I repay that money, when I repay that debt, that money is also destroyed. So every time we are repaying debts, there's less money in society. And this is why we're constantly on that hamster wheel and why actually society really seems to have a lower standard of living where we have all these technological advances. We should have a phenomenally more abundant standard of living, but we don't. So um, housing is 10 times salary, where in the 70s it was three. A college education is the price of a house where, you know, UCLA probably in the 70s was free, you know, mm -hmm. and. Um, it's because we need to find reasons to put people into debt just to create a money token to use. This is crazy. So mm. you know, we actually can change this in communities. We can do it on our own and on, on an alternative basis. And it's happening. People are beginning to do it. And when we hit a critical point, boy, we can start to petition our governments to also do other things like they did in the 1800s. Yeah, unfortunately... Our government isn't like it was in the 1800s. Uh, the, there's the polarization. There's the tribalism. Uh, there's the rancor. Uh, there's, there's the name calling. There's all of this stuff going on. And I sit here as a member of, um, on the one hand, uh, the, uh, I am a, a member of the We the People crowd or We the People party. Uh, but at the same time, I take a look at the context of the document that that, it, that that is written in. We, the people, only referred to the white males, did not refer to the women, did not refer to the people of color. It was only for the white males. So I suppose I'm still in that crowd, but I'm not proud of it uh, because it leaves out everybody else who's here. And one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm so... Um, curious about, uh, Kristen, from your perspective, has to do with the beginning of making that shift from an attitude of lack, as the phrase goes, or scarcity, if you will, to an attitude of, an ab of abundance. And we'll talk about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Kristen uh, Agassin is, uh, is my guest, and um, uh, uh, we're, we're talking about a concept that we're going to get into some other areas as well. The end of scarcity, the dawn of, new, of the new abundant world. And I've said this time and time again when it came to uh, the things that we consume globally, not just in the United States under capitalism. There is more than enough for everybody it is not the supply that's the problem. It's the distribution. And that too, too few have control over the distribution that prevents the many from having access to it. 
Uh, is that is that a fair assessment or, or am I a little off the mark? You know, I, I do think it's a fair assessment where the where the question comes into is how does one solve the problem? And yes. I think we are, you know, we're stuck in that sort of dualistic um, thinking of that it has to be done polit politically or it has to be done through some type of economic redistribution. And um, and then, of course, just as you were pointing to the contention, the graded fracturing that we're seeing of our society. And I don't think any of these type of solutions work because you still continue to get the fracturing. So when we come together, <clears throat> excuse me, in circles of exchange and we properly create the token of exchange, boy, does the distribution problem get solved because markets begin to work. Um, no one is left out who has a creative, beautiful idea that there is demand for. Mm -hmm. In today's system, someone might not get funded. Someone goes to a bank, they, they're looking for capital and they can't get it because of the constraints of the system, which is really because the money is created as debt. So it pushes for speculation. When um, money is actually backed by production, we, we enter this corridor of where we were supposed to be, which is that wealth and money are totally separate. Right. So wealth, as you're pointing to, is in every single human being. It's the creativity. It's the inspiration. It's the abundance of this planet. <clears throat> and it is what each one of us has a unique passion, whether we are in tune with it or not. It's quietly whispering. Sometimes we get the space to really hear it. And so each person has a unique, amazing gift that we all need. And that's the wealth. That now drives actually all of our creations. Money was meant to be a very simple, neutral technology, something we created together to assist us in society. And, you know, so even when we take the spirit of the Constitution or the spirit of the Declaration of Independence and we look at it as an ageless document, it works for everyone. It is meant for everyone. Now, the only thing we need to do is actually get that technology of money right. And now we start actually living um, in the domain where we were meant to, which is wealthy, creative beings. And now money is at the service of society. Instead of where we're living today, we're living in the service to money. And that's where the problems are. Survival is where we're at right now. And we're, we on this program have been promoting that we want to move into the realm of thrival which I did find out. I thought I'd created the word until I went to Webster and then Webster. No, you did not create that word. It's been in here for a while. Uh, that's fine. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get to a place where we can all, and I mean all, all 8 billion of us, thrive. Why is that, uh, why is that such a hard thing? Oh, and, and here's a question for you, uh, Kristen. Um... How do we begin the process? Because I think this is where it begins. I could be wrong. How do we begin the process of changing the consciousness of society, which encompasses all people, no matter where they are in government or business or what have you, that does not usurp their free will, you want to live in a socialist, communist, capitalist, unsustainable, blah, blah, blah. You're welcome to it. We're going to devote an entire island to you and your people who are of that mindset. You go right because we want to move ahead. We want to move forward. We want to go higher. We want to thrive. 
Um, Einstein said it best. You cannot solve a problem or meet a challenge with the same consciousness that created it. And that seems like where we are today. 2008, the quote-unquote Great Recession. I don't know, maybe we're going to have the Great Recession 2.0. And they were using the same economic solutions for a place they told us in the news media, we've never been here before. This has never happened. Well, how can you use the same solutions for a problem we've never dealt with before? Don't you need to come up with new solutions? So talk to us about how, how, do, we, how do we maintain that individuality, but at the same time say, look, we, we, would you like to be wealthy? In the context you are talking about, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We can make that you know, happen, but you have to let go of the old ways of doing things. You do. You do. You know, and I think the first thing is that it's actually possible that there's another way, you know, Um, it's it's truly, you know, and this, um, I I actually include a parable in the end of scarcity about the old man, the traveler and the lamppost. And I'd heard it 20 years before. And I thought it was kind of interesting, but I never really understood it until, until I started looking at the money system. And the old man is under the light of the lamppost late at night, lost his keys. The traveler comes by, feels sorry for him, starts to help him. They get completely tired, still looking. And the traveler says to the man, are you sure this is where you left your keys? And the traveler says, no, I I lost them two blocks up to the east. And the traveler, you know, not knowing what to do, says to him, my God, why are we looking here? And he said, because there's light here and we can see. We can't, I can't see up there. Now, this... I'll tell you, this is our predicament. We we see, we all, we all want, I, I mean, if I really even just take the bulk of the consciousness, we want a better world. We certainly want it for ourselves and a lot of people want it for everybody. And we're lost in the, we, we, so we're searching our politics, our economic theories, our social justice issues, and we're just getting more exhausted because that's familiar to us. Now, the real problem is waiting for that shift in consciousness, which says, my goodness, wealth and money are separate. Money is just like a phone or a computer that's here to assist us with a conversation. It's a neutral technology. We came together in society. We said it was better to live together and we created it to help us. We've got an unconscious relationship with money as a tool. Maybe we should look at it and see if it's designed correctly. Rut row, it's not designed correctly. So what do we do? We Can we get our government? Well, maybe we can't. Can we get the economist? Maybe we can't. But we certainly can begin today. Um, I've got, you know, I've probably had five different communities reach out to me so far who want to begin. Um, I was working with a community in India where everybody would say, oh, they're so poor, we have to raise money for them. And I would walk around these villages and say, my goodness, they're not poor at all. They're incredibly wealthy. They just don't have money. What if we assisted them to create a proper token so all of this wealth could exchange? And this is where we're standing on the precipice of saying that's that mindset set change you're talking about that goes from this deprived um, survival based 
where the lower part of our brain can only activate. And because we're stuck in that fear of survival, we don't even really have that spaciousness where the higher zone of the brain could relax and we start to receive those new ideas. Mm. But they're waiting for us. They're absolutely waiting for us. And this is why it is the dawn of the new abundant world, because we're we're through that, we're going through that birth canal where we're all getting ready for this scarcity and for this just lack of point of living to end. Yeah. That's assuming that uh, we don't uh, annihilate ourselves in the process. And <clears throat> we've got situations around the world that that um some are you know, fearful that that we could, we could end up doing just that very thing uh, from a from a more um, esoteric perspective. Some would say, "Yeah, we're headed for the sixth extinction event of humankind." Uh, you know, and it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna still I'm gonna do my utmost to stay optimistic that it's still possible. We can still shift. We can still change. We can still make, uh, you know, get around that corner, if you will, and, and do things differently. But again, there are a lot of people who are so vested in the old ways of doing things. And one of the things that we talk about on this program, uh, Kristen, is uh, giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. And when I say that, um, the knowledge of those choices, what that means is, how do you know what choices you have unless you educate yourself on that process. So uh, we would, uh, 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 basically what we do is we bring people on, such as yourself, to talk about the, these new ways of living. And just look around you, because the old ways don't work. You just look around and you can see they don't work. And yet we continue to use them. Right. We're talking with Kristen uh, Ragason, and we're talking about uh, the... Um, this, this concept of scarcity, but actually it's the end, the end, ladies and gentlemen, of scarcity. When I was talking with Jacques Fresco back uh, when he was 94, um, he was telling me about this whole thing, and I'm going, well, do you think this will happen in, you know, you know, sometime soon, like in my lifetime? He says, well, it, it won't happen in mine. He was in his late 90s, and it probably won't happen in yours. And I was going, oh, darn it. I was really hoping tomorrow we could just shift over to that new way of living. Uh, because he said the same thing about the whole aspect of consciousness. Um, but I want to share with you something, uh, that a story that I heard, and I liked it because it took away the stress. It took away the strain, if you will. And we'll, I'll tell you that in just a moment as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and uh, we are here with um, uh, Kristen Ragason, and she has written a book that I think you're going to want to get a copy of. It's uh, called The End of Scarcity, The Dawn of the New Abundant World. And um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to work really hard between now and the end of this year to make it happen. So the prediction will be a false prediction come spring 2023. And we'll all just be so abundantly blessed and we'll be thriving and it'll be not a utopia, ladies and gentlemen, because we are all human and we have our personalities and our differences. But what we're going to do is find out more about how we can do that. Kristen, I want to share with you quickly this, uh, this story, and I thought it was a great story um, about this concept. And I don't know if this falls in line with what you're talking about. These two gentlemen, Bill and George, they go to lunch, breakfast, and uh, Bill is uh, the one who, uh, uh, at the end of the meal and the great conversation, the good friends been together, known each other a long, long time, 
he gets the uh, check and he looks at him. Oh, okay. And he reaches in his pocket and he has exactly, exactly the right amount of money to pay. And he pays it and they go off. And and George just kind of going, well, that was interesting. They get together a few weeks later for lunch. Same thing. Great food. Great conversation. Check comes. Bill pulls out the wad. Exact amount. Exact amount. Uh, they go their separate ways. Dinner a few weeks later. And again, the same scenario. Check comes. Pulls out exact amount. And George says, first of all, I want to thank you so much for, for paying for our meals for the last few times. I mean, I appreciate it. I mean, I can afford to do it. But hey, you know, you, thank you. Thank you. But I have one question for you. How is it that every time the check comes... It's funny, I call it a check instead of a bill. I mean, it's because of bill. Uh, you always have exactly the right amount of money to pay. He says, well, <clears throat> let me tell you a story. So now there's a story within a story. He says, I was going through the garage uh, a couple of months ago, and I came across this, uh, this dusty old uh, uh, oil lamp. And I started to clear away the dust, wipe it down with this cloth and everything. And suddenly out pops this genie. And the genie says, you can have one wish. Okay. And you can't wish for more wishes. And so, okay. So he thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. He says, can I get back to you? So, sure. So he thinks about it over the next couple of days, comes back to the genie. He says, I know what my wish is. That I will always have exactly the amount of money that I need to pay for the things that I need. Your wish is granted. Boom. And that's how. And... At first, when I first heard the story and I thought about it and I started sharing it here on the program, I thought, well, you know, that sounds really kind of cool, you know. Um, and it seems to me that that's the way that it ought to be. Mm -hmm. Is barter even close to the type of system you're talking about? Because, again, it's not based on debt. It's based upon my ability to provide a product or service that I can exchange with someone else who's doing the same kind of thing, but a different product or service that I need and that they need what I'm creating. Well, I, the truth is that we barter today, right? It's just been monetized. And so if I go into a coffee shop, I want a cup of coffee. I'm actually trading consulting services that I've given before that are stored in money. Okay. And so we, you know, the and even the the history, there's no record in the anthrop anthropological record that we actually bartered. Um, that was sort of a made up concept by Adam Smith when they were trying to look to get markets and different kinds of things in. So um, today we are bartering in essence. We're we're looking, we're trying to compare if the values are reasonable. Some services we have to buy, you know, utilities, things we don't taxes, we don't really have a choice or so it seems. And um, the, but the issue is, is that the money that's really supporting us to help facilitate our trades is, is created out of consumer debt. And that's where the problem is. And when we make that one change, where instead it comes into existence from productive capacity based on supply and demand, um, the whole world changes. Now, you can find this on 20% um, of global trade is done actually through something called capacity credits, where big producers are exchanging a, a certificate of steel for rubber. Mm -hmm. 
when sort of the, the money, the tokens run out, um, farmers already issue CSAs or, you know, you can buy, you can invest in the winter for 20 weeks to pick up food over the summer. That easily can turn into a new level community currency and it comes into existence representing the real productive capacity we have backed, you know, limited by supply and demand. So it's it's the concept actually where um, money should not be coming into existence as consumer debt. It should be coming into existence backed by production limited by supply and demand. So it's a really simple concept. And when this changes, the world changes. Um, you know, the founding fathers at the very beginning, the colonists had tremendous abundance because they backed their money by production. Uh, anytime there was a renaissance period, they did it. And for the past hundred years, we've absolutely been backing our money through consumer debt. And yeah. um, and this is why we are where we are. So uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's something that has to begin on concentric small circles and then boy, will it begin to bloom everywhere. Mm. But, um, I would, I would say the reason why things look so bleak in many kinds of ways is that we are in the position where the little baby chick is inside of the egg and it starts to get a little bit bigger. It's producing toxins in its happy shell, which now is making it have this tremendous conundrum of pecking down its own structure. And yet the chick has no idea this amazing world that's waiting for it. And so humanity is at this point where, boy, does it look bad. And even as we go through this birth canal in the next couple of years, it also could continue to look a little scary. But what's this amazing world is coming now. And I say it's coming very quickly. And the faster that we get educated and start to get excited, the faster we're going to bring this about. The end of scarcity.com is the website. Uh, Kristen Regison is my guest, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, you have used a term now twice in this program that one of my very early guests, going back to 2007, used the, 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 the concept, if you will, the analogy. And this was. 2007, right before the quote-unquote Great Recession. And she, the late Barbara Marks Hubbard, said that we are going through the birthing pangs and that, not that I have any points of reference in this, when the woman is giving birth, there may be a lot of pain, a lot of anguish, a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But then when the head and the shoulders and the feet come out, oh my gosh, how wonderful. Not only is all the stress and the pain and the, all of that, yeah, there's some fatigue, granted. But now you have this new, this new beautiful creature, if you will, uh, that uh, now you have the opportunity, so to speak, to mold and to shape and to, to love and to care for. Uh, who will grow and grow and grow into another human being who will hopefully share what you've shared with it, and so on and so forth. And that was the term she used, and you've talked about going through the birth canal, if you will, uh, and the same, the same concept, and I think it's a fair one as well, uh, even though, again, I have no points of reference. <laughs> 
uh, and it sounds to me like I don't want them. But be that as it may, um, would you say that the the uh, the period of labor, using the analogy, you think we're coming close to the end of that? Uh, I think it's I think it's possible. The only problem is with the end, it's, you know, when the pain gets extreme, it doesn't quite feel so much like the end. Um, yeah. But I, I, do think, I think, you know, 24 months, these new types of currencies could be here within 24 months, 12 months. You know, we we may very well get a global currency in the next 12 months, <gasps> um, you know, some type of oh, digital. Oh, no. EBDC, you know, and these kinds of things, which really, again, will be more control oriented, more hierarchical oriented. I think the systems that try to keep the level of stability on this planet are not that imaginative, right? <laughs> so this type of system would be, again, like a last effort trying to keep stability here. And yet the consciousness is rising and the flatness of this planet is empowering. So, um, you know, these are not the systems that will stay, but as they incorporate and bring blockchain to the masses and help us to actually experience, wow, this thing is helpful, we will be able to open new alternative systems on those same pathways. Hmm. And um, so I'm, I am optimistic. I just think that it is so important for people to catch the idea that not only are these beautiful things possible, but they're waiting for us. Even our ancestors all before who did these things and um, had proper systems running are waiting for us to really fully incorporate them. And the more energized that we get, that not only is it possible, it turns out to be easy when we start to get the knowledge, um, we will raise the frequency on the planet, just that smidge that's needed. Yeah. And um, there, I think, in lies the difference between trauma and transformation. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, if we have trauma when we're in the birth canal that way, um, boy, does, it, does the survivor get activated? And, um, and we can't picture something else. And then when we hang on to the vision that's calling us, we start to get more energized and we create that beautiful world that much more effortlessly. And the last thing I'll add to this point is that it only really requires a small portion of people hanging on to that vision. You know, Greg Braden said the same thing. The percentage is point. I don't know what the exact number was, like 0.12 or 0.01 or something like I mean, it was like less than quarter of a million people on a planet of 8 billion. You know, I mean, it may not even be, have been that large. It may have been 180,000 for all I know. But you're absolutely right. It does not take that many because it's again, it's like those drops of water into a still pond and the ripple the ripple that takes place, which is kind of what we are here. We're one of those drops in the water that's uh, creating the ripple that hopefully is is sharing with people ideas and concepts and philosophies that that will work. But I will tell you that you're going to scare a lot of people when you start talking about anything one world. Because back when I was working for the Christian radio station in Phoenix in the 80s and early 90s, it was when I first heard of the word New World Order. And I, this one guy, his name was um, Epperline, I think it was his last name. And he wrote this thick tome about the New World Order and the Bilderbergs and the this and the Illuminati and the Trilateral Commission and the, the list goes on and on and on. 
And when you talk about the powers that be and they're not real creative, I would say it's primarily because their focus is on themselves. Their focus is on maintaining power and control and that the people, we the people, nationally and globally, are beginning to come into our own power. I mean, look at the women's movement, the women's movement alone. They are their their voices are being heard. As a matter of fact, you better listen or you're going to get left behind because they're going to walk right over the top of you uh, to continue on. And it was one of the things I shared in one of our previous interviews regarding feminism. Feminism, And I remember the struggle over getting the Equal Rights Amendment passed back in the 70s, which was at that time unsuccessful. Um, women are not here. They, they don't want equal rights to take over. They want equal rights to share in, to create together with the male uh, and so forth. Um, Talk to us a little bit about the the creative aspects of this, we'll call it new philosophy, you know, the end of scarcity, the dawn of a, of a, of a, uh, I, <laughs> I almost said it and I'm not, don't want to say that, the dawn of a new abundant world. Um, what are you experiencing in yourself or, or in the world as you see it? Uh, in terms of how the community, the national and or the global soul is uh, uh, is changing or uh, to use that word, transforming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you look at the whole overarching structure, it's really still a fractal of every human. So we all have fear and want to control things and all these other kinds of things. And these pyramidal hierarchical structures were the best versus the consciousness that we had, right? It created a certain level of stability. It created a certain level of order and it had a certain level of brutality to it. Yeah. We've, we're getting to the point now where we're opening up the power is being seed on the on the flat level and it's in each person um so we of course need new structures now that's just settling for everyone so how do we sort of make that transfer and um at the same point in time every actor and every player on the earth is caught in the same hierarchical structure and um and they're doing their best to create stability as this sort of new energy rises so um it's it's really it's, I think there's such an optimistic, beautiful vision that's calling. Um, you know, if we were to look at what the new structure would look like, once the money gets gets redesigned and starts showing up in alternative avenues, um, the new structure of the world would be more like the flower of life. It would be all these circles interlinking with one another. And you can have small circles, big circles, all these kinds of things. So power really starts with the self, goes into the community, the family, and everything else. So it's a whole shift of consciousness. Mm. And um, I think that, you know, a lot of times when people say, oh, if we just got rid of this particular organization or the banks or the that, none of it's really true, you know, because everybody, again, is part of the same consciousness, part of the old system. And as the new consciousness rises, they have the opportunity now to take a different role as this sort of um, uh, fighting against energy gets transmuted 
into an energy where we're all working together. Well, I, I, I have to tell you that, uh, and I'm actually looking at the flower of life. I pulled that up on uh, on uh, Google, and it's uh, it's really, I, I love it. I mean, I think it's a cool-looking uh, design to start with, but uh, that's kind of the way it is. And I find it interesting, too, uh, Kirsten, that uh, in the 80s, uh, and early 90s, I was going through these personal growth and development programs. I started out by going through EST, which was an outgrowth. Uh, not EST. No, 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 no. It was an outgrowth of EST called LifeSpring. Uh, then I went through Omega and Delta Vector in the 90s with my uh, with my first wife. Uh, and we, we, we shifted in the 80s. We were into the victimhood. And it, when my mom and dad, they did this and that and the other. By the way, I never blamed my parents, even then. Uh, and then in the 90s, it was more dealing with the issues of codependency. As we move forward in that decade, we began to understand about interdependency. And I thought, oh, God, we're, we're moving forward. We're, you know, okay, it doesn't matter what the politics is doing because there's nothing I can do about that. The consciousness is shifting and changing. And then in 2015, we went right back to victimhood in the political realm. And I, that's what I've dubbed the 2016 campaign, the, camp, the presidential campaign of victimhood. It's their fault that we are where we are. And it's like, I'm going, that's BS. We are where we are because we did this to ourselves. Okay? So man up, woman up, and understand that. And what was really sad, I saw this uh, just the other day. This one gentleman was doing on-the-street interviews. I think it was in the South. It may have been Georgia, North Carolina, what have you. And it was politically oriented, if you will. And basically, this one woman basically told the commentator, Oh, yeah, I, I don't watch or listen to anything that doesn't support the beliefs that I, uh, you know, the philosophy that I, I adhere to, you know. So, you know, and it's like that's part of the problem of where we are where we are. Um, and sometimes you, you cannot and maybe never will get through to a person like that. But that's why we've used this analogy of the lifeboat. And guess what? It's a big lifeboat. It'll hold 8 billion people. There's only one condition. Only one. You cannot bring with you the old ways of doing things. Okay. And we're going to create new ones. Do you see that small little percentage of people around the planet is starting to manifest itself where we're starting to actually see that ripple effect of the changing of the, the consciousness uh, of our communities, our cities, our states, our nation and world, where the people are actually saying, to an individual like a Putin, and I'd I would love to literally do this, who will grab him by the ear, pulling him out of the Kremlin, saying, "Sorry, young man, we don't play like this in the 21st century. You are going on a permanent timeout." Do you see that happening? Yeah, I really do. You know, people are getting tired of the arguing. And even you can see it, even when they say the same things they've said, there's a sense of futility to it. You know, and um, the beauty is that I do think we're coming to that point of leaving the trinity of the hero, the victim and the villain. Right. 
And um, because there's no end to that. And then the players just change and turn around. And that's really, um, you know, it's it's like a, a merry-go-round or a Ferris wheel might be a better analogy mm-hmm. of who's on the top, who's on the bottom. And it gets us absolutely nowhere. Um, the money system itself is designed in the same way today. And um, what I love, uh, a lot of the feedback I've gotten from the book is that when people get through the first few chapters, they feel freed of the victimhood of money because they they actually see that, that everybody was touching the big elephant. You know, one had the leg, one had the ear and they couldn't see the whole animal. And um, so instead of saying this group created the scarcity, this group creates the instability, they see that the technology was actually designed incorrectly and it turns everybody against each other. Mm-hmm. And boy, wow, we find the real problem. And now we st- we begin to drop the stories. And um, this to me is the most exciting thing because when you look at the planet and you look at the beauty of nature, the animals, the, the plants, the sky... They're all singing. They're sort of singing the glory of being alive, mm-hmm. right? The sun shines on everyone. The rain rains on everyone. And here's humanity, this unbelievably amazing, um, you know, creation. And yet we're telling these stories of woe. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just perpetuating this separation, this victimhood. So now the world is waiting for us to claim that responsibility to say, whoa, wait a minute. We could actually create the world that shapes the vision. And not only could we do it, but we have all the knowledge and tools. So I think we're just teetering on this. Um, I think the frustration, the exhaustion, the fear, the anger, even the benefit of the of the last two years with the pandemic plus has brought that point where almost the tolerance for um, the unthinkable has increased and people have a wider sense of, you know, maybe that's not what's being showcased on TV and social media, but they have a wider sense for being challenged. Yeah. And um, it's not so easy to create fights between people. I So the, the essence is mismaturing. And um, mm. so, again, that small percentage and the more that we get the information out of how what the real problem is, how easy it is to change, people are going to be inspired. So I am very optimistic. <laughs> I'm not going to forget to mention this uh, as we continue here on the program talking with uh, Kristen uh, Ragason about her book, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the this book that I find so interesting as we're conversing here. I just flipped over to the, the flower of life. The end of scarcity, the dawn of the new abundant world. Uh, and that has to do with the fact that... Um, uh, we, it's funny, I listen to a lot of, I'll call it the rhetoric, mm. the bloviating, I like that word too, the bloviating, uh, in regards to especially those who are quote unquote of faith. And in the last six or seven years in this country specifically with the, the continuation of the polarization and the divide. The one thing that I find fascinating nobody is talking about is a biblical passage that basically goes, I paraphrase because I'm not King Jimmy, um, a house divided against itself will not, cannot stand. And yet 
we have allowed individuals in this country to divide us under the banner of that particular philosophy. And it's like, do you not see what's happening? Are you not willing to open your eyes to that reality? And I'm hoping that even that woman who was uh, in, uh, I, I'm thinking it was North Carolina, maybe it was Georgia, uh, who made the comment that I don't watch anything that doesn't support my, you know, my views and so forth. Um, I know what's being said because I hear it from time to time. I don't take sides. I'm not uh, uh, progressive. Well, some may say, uh, you're a liberal, you're progressive, you're left wing because of your crazy ideas and so forth. And you're going to destroy us. Uh, and yet some of my uh, other uh, uh, conclusions would probably be deemed more to the right. They're just my ideas. They're neither left nor right. Your perspective when it comes to the end of scarcity is apolitical, mm -hmm. a-religious, a-economic. Uh, in other words, it's neutral in that regard on those different, in those different categories, right? Yeah, because it's at the point of zero. It's at the beginning point, which is to say that a lot of the divide, or if not all of the divide, is coming from that survival sense of scarcity and that need to control and that need to have a hierarchical system, pyramidical system. Mm -hmm. And once you create the token of exchange correctly, which is money, boy, does the world change. Now, anybody can have what they want and it doesn't, you know, create enslavement for others because the money token is going to freely flow where there's supply and demand. And that is the basis of freedom. So when you have monetary freedom, you have freedom in its entirety and people can really decide for themselves what they want and they can explore ideas instead of having to feel straight jacketed by different types of perspectives. Um, so the the other thing that really begins, I, I think that as we start earnestly down this journey, which is going to happen with or without us, we come to the point where it is a journey of forgiveness um, in the sense maybe first for ourselves so that separation and that house divided also goes on within us. And that's maybe even the source. You know, we have all different kinds of judgments, all different kinds of feelings. That's just part of this state. And as we come to the point where we really realize we're doing the best we can, and maybe the system itself is working against everyone right now, because that's where we were, um, we start to have forgiveness for ourselves, and even in that outer fracturing. And then um, new leaders get called, because the leaders that we see are the ones that are still representing the mass consciousness. And, you know, they're easy targets to blame, but it really is because we've given that responsibility away and the responsibility has to begin with each person. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's also where this next level is taking us. And that's the maturation process. Um, but it'll be a beautiful one because there'll be a lot of forgiveness um, for ourselves, for our families. And I think the other really beautiful thing is we are going to embody the truth of this existence, which is that we are totally unique and separate and, and completely connected and inseparable at the same time. And the existing systems and paradigm that we've been living through looks at us as though we're completely separate. And it's not true. 
It's just how mind bending could it be that we would think, wait a minute, it's a paradox. We're both. And um, all of this, this is why it is the dawn of the new abundant world, because the systems that are going to come about are going to honor the connectivity and the separate uniqueness at the same time. You know, it's interesting that, um, again, uh, we're either going to go along with it or we're going to be get, we're going to be left behind. Uh, but it's our choice. Um the one concept I have a real hard time with, and I'm hoping that the concept changes in this new, uh, uh, you know, abundant world, is this, this ludicrous concept of supply and demand, which causes prices to rise and fall, which I have never understood. Not because I don't understand the concept. I don't understand why anybody would do that. You got a loaf of bread. All right. You paid, um, let's just say, uh, 35 cents to put it on the shelf. You're the grocer. Uh, and you're going to sell it for a dollar. All right, that is fine. Uh, and you've got multiple loaves of bread up there. And now you're down to five loaves, and you're going to raise the price? I'm sorry, that makes no sense to me. It's absolutely ludicrous. To me, what that is is greed. Am, mm -hmm. I, am I wrong? Is that the old paradigm? You know, I, I think it, I would I would say I would agree and disagree at the same time. So let me see if I could break well, it down. Well, thank you a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. Um, you know, I think what we experience is an exaggeration of that, which is what looks like greed. You know, because when money is created as debt, you have to create an endless amount of debt, right? I mean, if it, the minute that someone pays off a debt, there's less, the money is extinguished. So there's less money for the whole. So you think about a snow globe, the snow circulating in the snow globe. If everybody's paying off their debt, there's less and less snow circulating, less and less money. So we, we live in a very perverted, contorted version of what should be investment capitalism, which would allow the abundance to flow if the money was done correctly. Mm. And so people don't really, most people don't have the space to hear the calling. They have to get a job. And a job originally was was created some it was it was a word used for cheating or stealing or playing a trick on someone and they don't hear their vocation and um and then they get coerced into this excessive materialism uber competition investment turns into speculation you need you need a federal reserve you need a small polity to control these systems so democracy gets contorted all because the money token is designed incorrectly so supply and demand would be a normal healthy thing if in fact there was x amount of supply and then suddenly there's more demand for it well okay that supply has more value because now a thousand people want it instead of 10 but it doesn't mean that there and now it will empower other people to get into the business and start creating those things or come up with new creative ideas and expanding consciousness as einstein was pointing to to create even more beautiful products okay and so it would facilitate that magnificent divine flowing through us of creation, you know, going from the unmanifest to the manifest. Um, what we see today is a real contortion of it. Um, the inflation that we're dealing with today um, sadly was created through very bad policy. I could take it from any spectrum. It could be um, sort of stupid policy. It could be policy to ease a new global currency in. There are a whole host of ways that we could look at it. Mm -hmm. But when we shut off supply, 
heavily during COVID and then set fuel demand by sending checks in the mail, which still also had to happen. You get this massive breakdown in society with prices. And then when states, which we have 18 states right now, sending checks in the mail to assist with inflation, that only increases inflation. You raise interest rates, you make the price of money more expensive. So we get lost in these ways that they can't fix the problem mm -hmm. because they haven't found the real problem. And so this is why I would agree with you, but also say there's a nuance that when money, just like the equal sign, um, comes into existence when two values match. Now, now, the quantity of money should always be flexible. It should be equal to the real productive capacity in society. You wouldn't get these weird contortions. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's in a way uh, we're going to need maybe a, a year where we'll have these communities really up and running demonstrating this. Mm -hmm. And people will see very quickly. But also, I will say that the book creates a tremendous revelation as to how um, how amazing these problems that we've argued about can be solved. Well, now, uh, just one final question in this in this uh, conversation here. Um, why is it that there is the justification? A uh, uh, hundred people want a thousand loaves of bread, and the next day, a thousand people want a hundred loaves of bread. Where's the justification for increasing the price? Well, I mean, it really would be that because, you know, and, and granted, some prices are sticky. They don't raise the rise. They don't rise that fast, although gas does. <laughs> um, but it's because literally you have that many people coming in. And um, so the next loaf that would start to come, um, there would be more demand for it. Um that but how itself, does that justify raising the price? That's my that's my question. Well, you know, uh, it, first of all, the prices are just the price that something is being charged. It should represent its value. And I think that's what you're really drawing at. I think the easier way is to point to a house. So if you look at a house, a house has a certain amount of value. Should a house go from being 500000 to a million dollars in a few years? And the answer is no, that it actually should not. And the reason why we get that massive inflation in the price of the house is because the loan is available. And that is definitely in that sense of greed and in that sense of Ponzi scheme that you're pointing to. Mm -hmm. And it was never intended to be that way. Mm -hmm. And the source of that is money comes into existence primarily through mortgages. So when you're dealing with things like bread or simple things that we're using, that has more to do with the overall supply chain, that the inflationary pressures are pushing those prices higher. You're not going to just get that immediately from supply and demand. But where we see inflationary pressures dramatically, you see it in housing. And so um, in the 70s, a house was three times salary. Today, a home can be a million, uh, pardon me, a home can be 10 times salary. And now the American dream gets pushed away because money is being created as debt. Yeah. And, and that's where that would be resolved. Um, legitimate price increases for, for supply and demand would be that those resources are costing the producer more to get a hold of. 
that the actual product chain that it that that's required to get it there pushes those prices legitimately. But you're talking about price gouging. And I think we can see that much more in housing or college educations. And you uh, used one uh, 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 one commodity that that it's the only one I know of that literally can fluctuate from one day to the next. And that's gasoline, which has never made any sense to me. The gas station attendant or the owner of the gas station has these giant tanks underground. He just got fueled up at the time when the price was, please, $3 a gallon, $3 a gallon. Okay. Uh, for whatever reason, we are then also looking at the price of oil globally. All right. And it's fluctuating all over the place. And he paid, let's just say, the, the average price per gallon that's in the ground under his station that he's going to pump out to the customer is $3 a gallon. The next day, I don't know what in the hell happens, but that $3 a gallon gas that's in, his gr in the ground in his tanks suddenly goes up by 50 cents. Yeah. How in you the know, world is that even possible? Because he still only paid $3 a gallon or a little less than that, obviously, for his profits uh, for what's in the ground. And yet he's charging me 50 cents more a gallon the next day for the what he's not paying anything extra for. And that's well, that's where I think a lot of people are getting lost. And I don't want to go further down this rabbit hole because it, it starts to get really uh, sort of complicated and and uh, uh, I never liked economics 101 anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the only thing that the only thing that I would add in there is that you you do have future prices, right? So you you the farmers engage in options and contracts, and yeah. certainly probably a gas distributor is doing the same thing. And so now suddenly the contracts that they're buying for the future are immediately more yeah. expensive. Would the would um, the new abundant world? simplify all of this? Yes, you absolutely would not be running into these kinds of things anymore. So the contortions of, so if there's a solid foundation to supply and demand and these kinds of normal principles that we live with in life, the contortions that we're experiencing would all be vacated. hundred percent. You know, <laughs> because again, remember, there's nothing wrong with the car. There's just something wrong with the gas. And um, money itself is the most impactful thing in our society, whether we like it or not, but we have a totally unconscious relationship with it. We just know how to earn it and we know how to spend it. And we kind of accept it like the sun and gravity yeah. without realizing we design it, we create it. Mm -hmm. So the world is our oyster once we start to get a little educated. And that's so important to start raising our consciousness that will help. I did hear one great thing uh, from one of my guests talking about this kind, this general area, uh, uh, in terms of uh, the new abundant world, if you will, and um, there are those who want to destroy the old institutions and then bring in the new ones. And he says, "No, you do not want to destroy the old institutions. What you do is you build new institutions that make the old institutions obsolete." That's right. That's yeah. right. That's that's Buckminster Fuller, right? And that's and that right. also goes into this whole thing of forgiveness and really sort of where we're giving up the victim and the villain and the hero. I used to say, listen, we didn't have to attack cell phone booth. I mean, phone booths to get the cell phone. And no. um, <laughs> 
You know, and we we don't have to hate the Fed and all these kinds of things. The Fed has served its purpose. Yeah. And we can give we can give thanks for the history that's brought us to where we are. And um, and when we put our attention on the new, everything else becomes irrelevant and loses its own energy. You know, when uh, when the pandemic was declared and it just ironically happened to be on the anniversary of my uh, first full time day at this radio station I work for now. It just happened to be St. Patrick's Day 2020. And the first thing that went through my mind was, hooray, we're doing something different. You know, I don't know what the heck this coronavirus COVID-19 thing is, but if it's really that bad, we're doing something different. We're shutting things down. And see, I have advocated for 35, 40 years when the influenza starts to circle the globe, we need to shut the airlines down for two weeks. To which people say, Richard, you have no idea what that would do to our economy. I said, by comparison to what we've done over the last two and a half years, it would be a blip. A blip. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that was the first thought. We're doing something different. That means that when we get out the other side, it's going to be different. We we don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be scary. It's like going into the void, but it's going to be different. The second thing was, and this is what you're talking about, I, I thought, imagine the opportunities that we don't even know about yet that are going to come about because we're doing something different. Not, oh my God, so many people are going to die and get sick and I hope I don't get sick. And I wasn't in the fear because I've taken the position, hey, if it's my day, it's my day. There's nothing I can do about it, okay? So in the meantime, I'm going to stay optimistic. And to that end, let me ask you this question. Your glass, I'm going to guess, is half full, Correct. That's right. But the question is, what's it full of? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Right. You know, it's full of whatever we really put in it. And where we focus is, and and this is for all of us. I mean, I look at my own day, where am I focused? And then the beauty is how quickly it can change every moment. Mm. So um, I this is this is really what drove me to write the book. Um, I, I wanted to consolidate my own information, and then when I saw how magnificent this was, I wanted to share it with everyone. It's my prayer for humanity, and I know I actually know how easy it is, and how much we need this message today. So this is how we will make the change when we keep helping each other focus on the beauty that's calling us. Yeah. You you made reference to nature a little while ago, and uh, one of the things that I state regularly on this program that, and I'll if you want to expound on this, I'd be love love to hear it. Nature is our greatest teacher. Oh, it is absolutely, absolutely. You know, there I, it's it's so moving. But when you look at the kaleidoscope of the beauty and the rhythm and the symbiosis and. Um, and the giving, you know, I, I say in the book, nature gives of herself without ever thinking of what she's going to get back or who has to do their job. She knows that all the parts will. She has faith that all of it will work. And, you know, this is the harmony that's calling us. And it's what our soul longs for. So, you know, we just as we continue to anchor there, the systems will reorder around that frequency. That's why this knowledge is even coming back so boldly, so simply, um, where before it used to be so convoluted or boring, you know, 
exhausting. Yeah. And now it's simple and fascinating. Yeah. I, I feel as though, and I know I've heard people say this both about the legal profession as well as economics, uh, that it was simple. Uh, and as began, people began to realize how much power and control they could wield in it, they decided, let's make it a little more complicated and a little more complicated and a little more complicated so that the common man and woman cannot understand it and they have to come to us to explain it to them. Uh, we'll just give them a bunch of gibberish, you know, that uh, they don't understand anyway, and we'll just keep making it more and more complicated, more and more complicated. For example, the stock market. If I'm correct, the stock market originally was designed for people who had the money and saw a company a business, an entrepreneur who was doing something they liked and thought, you know, that, 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 that could go somewhere. And they would invest in that company for the purposes of, I guess, providing capital for that business to grow and grow and continue to make that product or provide that service. That is not the stock market of the 21st century. The stock market of the 21st century is nothing more than a giant ATM. Well, it's it's contorted with many different players. And so real investors have to be in the market with speculators, yeah. you know, but and um, and really modern day pirates, you know, who are sort of sailing the digital seas. For, <laughs> are they from know? Somalia? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it just when in fact, you know, capitalism was meant to be investment capitalism. Yeah. When charters were given to corporations in the colonial days, they were they received charters for being good citizens contributing to society. Oh. And, and banks were meant to be assessors of creditworthiness to assist in investment. So everything really had a beautiful purpose. Yeah. Um and I would say where the where the you know, the rubber meant the road or maybe where we went off the tracks is that it requires we, we have to be involved. We have to claim the responsibility for our lives. If we don't or we say we're not interested in all of these things that are really important, someone else is going to take that responsibility for us. Mm. And then you get these systems of control because really we've given that control away. And um it's it's easy to keep the topic simple again. I used to say that you know when you when you look at an equation three plus four equals seven, money is the equal sign, and the buyer and the seller are equally important, both contributing their wealth, wealth now or wealth previously contributed. But when we go to solve equations, we don't have to dig up equal signs first or make sure we have enough equal signs. If the equations match, the equal sign appears. Mm. And so when the tool of money is created properly, we will live in a world that way where the buyer and the seller need each other to exist. And um, the focus will be on our contributions. Mm. So it's really exciting. It, it absolutely is, especially if it's going to make it much more simple for us to understand, because after this interview, I got to stick my head under cold water, let the steam go off because my brain has just been working overtime and it's starting to overheat. Uh, we're talking with with Christian Ragason and, uh, of course, her uh, book that uh, we encourage you to go to the website as well. It is The End of Scarcity, The Dawn of the New Abundant World, not the New World Order, The New Abundant World world. It is possible, and we're going to be a part of that because that's something we want as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story.
I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, uh, Kirsten Ragason is my guest. And Kirsten, first of all, thank you so much for giving us so much time here on the program to talk about this subject that can be very frustrating and aggravating and so forth, but it doesn't really have to be, um, especially if we take it into the context in which it is intended, and that is that the old system is beginning to flake away, to die off. Uh, it's happening, and that new systems are beginning to uh, to arise, shall we say, like the phoenix from the ashes. And uh, that is an exciting thing. So thank you so much for sharing your ideas and concepts with us today. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. I have three final questions that I want to ask you. Before I do, I want to let our listeners know uh, that uh, I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. But don't forget about the 9 a.m. Wednesday broadcast. That's our special edition. We podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we are on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. So we hope that you will. And uh, we also encourage you to go to the YouTube channel, which is Richard Dugan, and tell me your story. We hope you'll do that. And then, of course, we ask that if you can support us financially, we would greatly appreciate that. Speaking of money, uh, we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And it's interesting, when I get a contribution, a little percentage is taken off by PayPal. You know what? I don't have a problem with that because they're providing a service. So I'm willing to to acquiesce the buck or two. It's not a big deal. And then we ask you to spend time in that quiet, peaceful, calm, still place. We call that inner life during the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, listening to that still small voice, listening to your uh, uh, your intuition, if you want to call it, getting inspiration and guidance uh, and just, just spend some time getting calm. With that, we now are going to go to our final three questions for our guests. And again, I thank you so much for joining us. The first of those three questions, who is Kirsten Ragason? Oh, gosh. I would say someone who's in love with life and really wants to explore all the possibilities and how we can have a beautiful experience with one another. What is your life's purpose? Uh, I would <laughs> to really be alive and to be in service as much as I can. And finally, what was your best day? Oh, my best day. My best day was probably when I felt so connected with others that I forgot about myself and just got to experience the the awe and the wonder of living this life. Well, Kirsten Ragason, I thank you again for joining us and being with us here on the program. This was uh, fascinating, even the uh, Economics 101 uh, and trying to understand better uh, the confusion that's been created uh, that is going to go by the wayside in, not too in the not-too-distant future. In spite of what they're saying is coming, in spite of what I've heard over the years, uh, those checks that we've received, I never considered it free money. It was mine all along. It was tax dollars, and I'm just getting it back. Uh, and, yeah, maybe it created some problems short term. But that's one of the things I think people forget, uh, Kirsten. All of this, A, it's temporal. In a thousand years, it's not even going to exist. And, B, in the short term, in our lifetimes, it's temporary. 
This this is not going to go on forever. Yeah, it seems like it to to a year and then a year and a half and then two years with the whole lockdown and everything. It's not going to last forever. Eventually, we'll shift into something else and then we'll shift into something. That's the nature of things that cycles. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you so much. It's just wonderful. I really appreciate it. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, video cast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening. <laughs>